Welcome to the Leading with Data podcast, your show where we cover the intersection of data, analytics, trends, strategy, and so much more to drive results. This podcast is brought to you by Molecula and Oracle. Hello, everyone. This is Jason Dorsey. Welcome to another episode of Leading with Data. I am so fired up about today's episode because we have such a phenomenal guest. This person is truly a visionary, a thinker in the space, a ton of fun, lots and lots of great perspective, and I'm so excited to introduce him. So I'm thrilled to welcome to the show the Group Vice President at Oracle Data Cloud, Kurt Kratchman. Welcome, Kurt. So glad you're here with us. Thank you so much, Jason. I'm fired up too to be here, and I appreciate the opportunity to to speak with you and, and the audience. Yeah, well, you know, we've got people listening from all over the world. This is such a fun show to get to do. And uh, it's rare that I get somebody with your unique background and all the traveling and interesting things that you've done on the show. So I'd love if you don't mind for our listeners, just share with us, how did you get into your current role at GVP at Oracle Data Cloud? That's a, that's a big role. How, how did you get there? Well, it, it's, it's a great question. It can take me back all the way to my history of my career, but I'll, I won't, I won't be too, uh, too long about it. You know, I started out um, in my career as a, as a traffic engineer. Literally, I was counting vehicles <laughs> and people in New York City. And, and, you know, and that data and that data collection, the data analysis, the data processing, the transfer of data, the loading of data, the, the enriching of data for, for all these constituents, which happened to be the Department of Transportation, that was my that's how I entered my career. Now, over time, I learned how to visualize the data. I ended up going to film school to really learn how to visualize. Wow. Uh, film school. That's a yeah, first I, for the show. <laughs> yeah. No, I went to Vancouver Film School, but not to make films or TV, although we did practice and study that. I was really interested in video games and how to leverage the data that I was working with as a traffic engineer, because we started using a lot of maps, CAD maps and other types of things, you know, and, and, and we were using a lot of what we at the time was you know, global positioning data, early GPS. And so moving that data around, while that was cool on spreadsheets and data dumps, it's when we visualized it, that's when it got all the attention. And wow. that's when the storytelling began. And although I didn't use that language back in 1992 and 94, when I was doing this in 95, that essentially became the core of my career. Cut to, I've been through a lot of startups. The first 10 years of my career were mostly around professional services. The second 10 years were mostly around product and product development. And how I, and back to your question, how I got into Oracle was I got involved in a company called Grapeshot. They recruited me to help scale the company. It was a startup out of Cambridge University. They've been around for a while, but they're looking to get their footings in the United States. And so I came in as the COO. And within two years, we scaled the company up exponentially. Um, we created really great rate of growth, really strong revenue quality, really great margins. And we were a what you call a non-cookied technology. We didn't use cookies, so we didn't use any tracking of personal information. And we were crawling the internet, but extracting meaning from it in 100 languages. And that meaning became really important for the ad tech community. Ad tech is just a marketplace, programmatic marketplace where Google and Facebook lives and Twitter lives and TikTok and others in terms of selling their media and their, their activity. So Grapeshot was able to integrate into all these different platforms. And we became a really powerful player quickly because of 
because of our own capability inherently had value, but when GDPR came, GDPR is a regulatory um, group of, uh, it's, it's, it's regulation around tracking, started in Europe and became a global piece. CCPA is another derivative of that. And that regulation created a real demand for non-cookie data. Mm-hmm. And GrapeShot value just exploded. Wow. Oracle basically Oracle grabbed us up. Oracle had some strong leadership in the data cloud side. They were doing acquisitions and we went into that um, area and we got acquired by Oracle. In that process, that's how I got into Oracle Data Cloud. Um, I was, uh, when you're an executive from a startup that gets acquired, you get a certain position, not always, but in some cases, at least in my case, I got that position of group vice president and of of product development. And so that basically uh, enabled me to oversee a large portfolio of products of acquisitions, um, uh, about 15 to 20 products, if you can define them, you know, categorically. The, the, The bulk of the products, though, are were really very uh, strong point solutions in the ad tech ecosystem that all got integrated into a unified platform. Wow, and uh, just for for a sense of reference, about how long ago uh, was it when the company was acquired and you joined Oracle Data Cloud? 2018, when we were acquired. And uh, so I've been there two plus years. Yeah, and now that you've been in there, what, what gets you most excited about working at Oracle Data Cloud? Obviously, there's a great reputation for the organization, but, but what gets you fired up now that you've sort of been on the inside and seen it come together? Well, on the outside, when you get acquired by a company like Oracle, it's pretty um, intimidating and pretty mm-hmm. overwhelming and sort of scary because all you don't think of Oracle at least in the world of ad tech, you didn't think of Oracle as a major player. But when you started to really understand their philosophy, their approach, their uh, broader capabilities, I started thinking, oh my gosh, this, this, the potential in this organization is massive. They've done over 100 acquisitions in the last, I don't know, 10 years. Um, they are a $40 billion a year company. They are very strong in marketing technologies, and they're now very strong in advertising technologies. And by bringing and by joining the ad tech side, we are actually merging with the MarTech side. It's, mm. I mean, a sort of a super platform. And Oracle has something like 400,000 customers. You can imagine that you can almost get to anyone you need to through some relationship with Oracle. Those are some of the things that excited me. There's a list of other things, the people that I was involved with, the people that have come through these other acquisitions. It has just a ton of entrepreneurs um, and people trying to figure out really big problems. It's just Mm -hmm. now that we can do it at a bigger scale. Yeah. Wow. I, I love that. And I love the story. I mean, you know, from, from essentially traffic engineer all the way to a GVP at Oracle Data Cloud. I mean, what a journey. And I think, you know, sometimes when we think about, uh, you know, data and the whole field of data, people think that it, it really is a straight line. And of course, anybody who studies data knows rarely is that the case. <laughs> so, so let me ask you from your perspective, you get to see across this very significant portfolio as part of a real pioneering company. When you look back across your career, could be recent, could be, you know, further back, what do you think is maybe the most important decision that you've made using data and how did it work out? Well, Jason, that's a, that's a big question. So we like big questions here on Leading with Data. We're not here for the small questions. I want to make sure you answer this in the context that benefits your audience the most. Do you want me to frame it in the context of business decisions as an entrepreneur 
or something within Oracle with our customers? Because there's, I, I could pull. There's lots of places I can pull from to give color to that question. Well, let's start with that maybe a business decision here, and then in some of the future questions, we can sort of bring more of that Oracle point of view. So, sure. so from your own business journey, uh, what was yeah. an important decision you made, and, and how did it work out using data? Okay, so that so that will help me narrow it down. I think let me let me frame the audience back to when I came into Grapeshot, and I was prior to Grapeshot, I was working in private equity and, and venture capital in, in in Los Angeles and Beverly Hills. And I got exposed to a lot of companies, and Grapeshot was one of them. They excited me because they had an application that was horizontal enough that could be applied to any industry. But we decided to make it really vertical in order to get the exponential valuation from this particular technology. So, so I'm going to pull back and say we had to make a decision between going horizontal versus going vertical. What does that mean in the context of, you know, a business decision using data? Things that are, you know, a horizontal approach is like infrastructure, the picks and shovels for solving problems. These are companies that sell tools to help their, you know, their their customers implement something. And then going vertical is when you're solving a very specific vertical problem, right, within oftentimes a particular industry. And in the case of GrapeShot's technology could be applied to almost anything that had to do with ex, you know, understanding the context of text, whether it's written, audio, or video. Okay, so it crawled all of that and extracted value out of it. The marketplace, though, that made the most sense was the ad tech ecosystem because it was growing. It had so much momentum. It was growing so strongly and they knew and it had a transaction engine in the marketplace of, sci- of selling and buying data. And we call those ad servers. Those ad servers are like the stock exchange. They're constantly bidding on your eyeballs, right? Before you even open up your app on your phone or the web page, and in some cases now it's connected TV, there are people who are bidding on that ad that's dynamic that will be served to you. And that programmatic marketplace is like high frequency trading in stock exchanges. Mm-hmm. And so that decision, that business decision of instead of going like an enterprise software, going horizontal and equipping all of our customers with this technology versus going into that one vertical marketplace, I think we were able to capture these secular tailwinds that just accelerated our growth mm-hmm. and then integrated into all these platforms. And we just became ubiquitous and just we just exploded. And that's why we went from sort of the last ten, nine years before I got involved with a revenue line that was really sort of flat, little incremental growth. And then we just did the hockey curve growth up. Wow. That, that, was a, that was a data decision, you know, mapping that to marketplaces and then an execution plan that supported that data decision. Well, and such an important insight, I think, for so many entrepreneurs and executives, you know, whether when you're looking horizontal versus really narrowing in and focusing on one specific area, industry or, or vertical. I mean, what a powerful insight. So let's step back from that very specific one and tell me now from your vantage point at, at Oracle or just sort of where you are in your career, what do you, what's an, uh, an unexpected opinion uh, that you have about data or the future of data? Being inside Oracle, we run the largest data marketplace uh, in the world. We, we, we host lots of other people's data. We help them manage it. We help them use it for segmentation, for return on investment around media buying. We do it for measurement and analytics. We're a third-party independent auditor of the platforms like Google, Facebook, YouTube, et cetera, uh, Pinterest, and so on. And all that's very interesting. That's, that's a classic 
you know, roll-up strategy where you're helping with targeting, you're helping with, you know, brand safety, you're helping with analytics. Great. I consider that table stakes. Here's what I found was really interesting. We also discover fraud on all these platforms. Mm -hmm. And the increase of of automation, the increase of programmatic, the increase of digital in our world brings with this a underbelly of fraud. And our business around fraud detection and discovering bots, bad actors globally because of our footprint globally has become, we don't really lead with that as a selling point, but that is what I would call a byproduct of working with Oracle is we do a lot of fraud detection and prevention before it ever gets into the marketplace. That was something that I went out prior to coming into Oracle, I did not get exposure to. Mm -hmm. Now that I see it and I see how we can play as a positive actor in the global stage around digital, the health and ethics of using, you know, data for good uh, also got us involved in exposing and preventing fraud. I love that. I love that. I had not anticipated that answer. So <laughs> that's a fantastic. Well, and, and, so, and, so, and, and me too, right? That, that's why <laughs> it's an interesting question and also interesting that sadly, I should be transparent with you. Fraud is not going away. It's mm-hmm. getting the, the trickier, you know, the better we get, the better the bad actors get. So it's this mm-hmm. classic, you know, we talk about white hat and black hat and these kind of concepts in the world of um, you know, people who are doing uh, malevolent things that, that just, you know, it's just permeating every industry. So I think those who are getting involved in a lot more machine learning and AI and other types of things and, and big data, and most companies are, you know, fraud will come into their business in some form. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, so so shifting gears now, we've talked a lot about data already. Let's, let's sort of step back. You have this unique uh, trajectory. You've been on, it sounds like the investment side. You've been on the very entrepreneurial rocket ship side. You've, you're now a you know, senior executive at, at Oracle Cloud Data. What do you think, I mean, we're, we're living in a very interesting time, obviously with the pandemic going on, so many things that are just up in the air, lots of just unprecedented converging events. What do you think, as you look around your organization, or maybe even even bigger than that, what do you think is most important when it comes to being an effective leader now, just purely on the leadership side? What do you think is most important? What I've seen inside Oracle is the level of communication and more communication and more communication that's required from leadership and I'm not speaking about myself. I'm speaking about my colleagues, uh, people I report to, other people in the organization. But quite frankly, the, 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 those who are in the field and those who run small teams have become the strongest leaders in the organization. They're looking out for their peers. It's, it's a big company. There's 140,000 people globally. The, this is communication is so important. What I think connects the dots is and gives sort of what I would guess, call it faith in the organization and faith in the people. Um, And there is a lot of faith of the people who work at Oracle in Oracle itself, is that Oracle, because of its customer base, because of its history around databases, around its history of cloud and infrastructure, it is the backbone of governments, of Mm -hmm. hospitals, 
of payroll systems, of systems of record around both CRM as well as ERP, enterprise resource planning. It is the standard for financial systems that companies rely on. Companies that have to pay their employees, that have to deal with benefits, that have to do with all these kinds. So it becomes core to the global community. That is a position that Oracle during this pandemic has really reminded all of us and our customers that we're here for them, that it's not about us and how we're selling, it's how we're supporting our customers. Mm -hmm. That's what I think Oracle has done a great job of. And that's that's an exemplar characteristic of great leadership. The communication Mm -hmm. piece is another exemplar. It's both internal and external. It's telling stories around what we're doing, how we've worked nights and weekends to make sure that our customers, a lot of our customers were already going through some kind of transformation. They're already, so maybe it's a migration from on-premise to cloud infrastructure. Maybe it's a migration from this system to another system. All of that got accelerated and all of that because everyone is working remotely. So those those employees, our customers, employees, plus our own who are now working remotely, they need cloud-based systems because they can't tap into their, you know, log into your work environment. Now, Jason, you and I have always been around entrepreneurial companies. We've always been around organizations that have quickly adopted best-in-class maybe consumer type services for communication, whether it's email or cloud-based file sharing or whatnot. When you're inside these large, large organizations, you realize that a lot of, especially when Oracle has 400,000 customers, a lot of those customers have not migrated, right? Let's face it. There's lots of government systems that still use DOS, still Mm -hmm. use green screens. They still use a lot of older technology. And that was a, that was a reality I woke up to inside Oracle. And so seeing how we've helped those customers migrate really quickly has been one of the cool things that I've seen in our leadership and making sure that, you know, we do it with enthusiasm. We do it that we're, you know, that we're trying doing our best to commit, you know, to, to collaborate and work with our customers to help them get what their, what their employees and their customers needs. Mm-hmm. I love that. And I, and I love all the different perspectives you brought to that, to that question and, and sort of the, the concept between legacy, like you're pointing out, and, and where things are today and where they're headed. And, and that sort of tees up my next question. You know, I'd love to just sort of skip ahead and look ahead. When you think about the future, uh, what is one prediction that you have about the future of data and business? And it, it could be a trend. It could be something that you sort of your intuition tells you is happening. It could be something that you've actually seen uh, mapped out and maybe is being built. But when you look ahead, what is one prediction about the future of data and business that you have? My prediction is that prediction will become uh, stronger with stronger signals and with better outcomes. So let me let me break that down. Yeah, My please. It's actually about prediction, and I prediction for me is a is a euphemism for AI and machine learning and large data sets. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let, let's let's. There's two parallel universes going on. You've got hedge funds in the world of finance. You are all these these companies who are making bets on companies. They're using three techniques. It's fundamental analysis, technical analysis, or maybe quantitative analysis. The last one, quantitative analysis, using first party, third party data sets to make predictions, short or long term bets. Okay, but it's predictive. Those are predictive signals around is a stock going to go up or down? Okay, Mm -hmm. I think that has rushed that those same concepts have been in the enterprise ecosystem for a while, for at least 10 years, machine learning, using data sets, using it to understand images, image recognition. We use it for uh, predictive analytics, lots of things. 
What I'm seeing more and more of are companies that are essentially leveraging these advanced technologies to create unique and quantitative solutions for their organizations across industries. However, what's only interesting is when it's solving a real world problem. Mm-hmm. So the customer is ultimately the judge if an AI product is working. And yet what I see is a rush, all the customers we work with, and, and we've embedded AI machine learning in all of our softwares, right? Our ERP systems, our, our systems of record around CRM in, in data cloud. I mean, data cloud is essentially a big machine learning factory, mm-hmm. right? We're using third-party data in real time and first-party data from our customers, and we're blending that. We're building models, and we're making predictive outcomes that that this is a trend that will happen. I think we're seeing that across all industries from medicine and, and you, you name it, healthcare, it just goes on and on and on. That level, though, of prediction, whether you're horizontal or you know, vertical, doesn't really matter. Like I said, it's, it's are you solving world, world, real world problems? What's the specificity of that question that's being answered? How quickly can that uh, question be answered? How accurately can the question be answered? How much the customer needs uh, to put into it to get that answer? How many resources? And then, of course, you know, how do those predictions, how often do they need to be updated to retain value, those models? That's what I, that is my prediction of prediction. And that's the world that I'm <laughs> I love looking it. at. And, that, that's, and, and, and what's happening is that while I've been in the world of um, ad tech, I believe now we're, the, the infrastructure, the technologies are there to lift that up and to carry that to almost any business problem. And work on that with customers across the board. Mm-hmm. Very good. Yeah, and what gets me excited is, you know, the, clearly the the enterprise and other solutions that can help drive businesses forward. I just love the use cases to help the world. And I think there's so much there that, that we're going to be able to do that will solve some of these massive problems or at least uh, help us to take some progress, make some progress on those right now. It's such an cr- incredibly important time. So love that. All right, last one, last one. Now, this one is different than all the rest, but you know me, I, maybe I like to be a little unpredictable. <laughs> so the last one here is... curveball uh, <laughs> question, good. Yeah, here it is. Well, uh, what is your, I mean, you've had quite an amazing career, so many different experiences. So, so what is your favorite leadership quote or saying or motto? Uh, and why is that the one for you? Uh, so th- there's a few people who've worked with me for a long time and f- hear me repeat things a lot, but I'll, I'll share two that are, I would consider my go-tos. Um, one is more business related and the other is more personal related, but they, they play off each other quite well. The first one is, is those who set the agenda win the debate. <laughs> I love that. Those who I, set the agenda win the debate. That's yeah. a great one. I don't, to be honest with you, I have to go look that up because I don't know the source of that and I should. Like, I don't, is it, is it, you know, is it, is it Sophocles? Is it, is it Mark Twain? <laughs> I, I, no, I couldn't, I couldn't even tell you, but I will say that in a context of a, whether it's an interview like this or whether it's a, it's a meeting with a customer, when you have a really clear agenda and you can articulate that and you can stay on topic, I, and, and again, it doesn't have a debate as those are strong, emphatic, you know, terms, but our conversation gets much more effective when this is our stated goal and here are some outcomes that we'd like to achieve then those who you're working with and collaborating can align to get to that outcome and that's what and that's what it means to me those who set the agenda win the debate 
Mm-hmm. It's not a it's not a binary thing. It's like, oh, you know, Jason, you nailed me with your questions. Therefore, you won this interview. Mm-hmm. I don't think you're you're not a zero sum game kind of person. You're you know, you're trying, you know, we're trying to together do something that's bigger than both of us and to help other people in this conversation. And I think similarly, while that sounds like a stark phrase, my intention of using that is only to help us get to the outcome that we want. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I love it. The second one, and, and this, is, this is from my time living in Japan, I lived in Kyoto for a while and I, I studied there. I studied with a, a chef there and I studied some other stuff when I was there. I worked for Nintendo for a little bit. Um, I, um, I learned this expression, my, my Japanese is so bad, but there's a few things that stuck with me. And I learned this uh, phrase, it's a poetic phrase, it goes, Ichigo Ichie. Does, have you ever heard that before, Jason? I have not, but I'm eager to find out what it means. It's very simple to understand. It's in my loose transliteration of it or translation of it, it's one time, one chance. Mm. So ichi go, ichi a, one time, one chance. You can look it up and there's much more um, uh, philosophical, deeper interpretations of that and how to understand it. But the context for me learning that phrase was the concept of the kaiseki or the, the, the food accompaniment that went with the tea ceremony. And the notion of the tea ceremony was like the physical embodiment of Zen Buddhism. And Zen Buddhism, as you know, is a very minimalist way of approaching life. Action, thought, clear thinking, clear action, right? And so one time, one chance sort of met that this moment that you and I are having, Jason, maybe this one time, one chance that we have, what, how are, what are we going to do with it? Like, what, mm-hmm. what, how are you going to maximize it? How, how am I going to give you back something that you're giving me, right? And I think this is what I think the, in some ways it could be the premise for your whole, your, your personal philosophy as well. Because I've seen you speak. I've seen you present, um, I, I, you know, and, and you, you know, you have a very, very direct intent, very strong, you know, you, you provoke with questions. You, you use all of your physical powers to communicate something in that moment that leaves people with something that resonates much longer than that specific moment. And I think in many ways, that's what one time, one chance means. Uh, there's, there's, you know, I- images that could go with it. The, the pebble in the water that's creating, you know, waves. Uh-huh. There's the butterfly effect. There's lots of things in physics that we can draw on. But I still like that Zen expression of Ichigo Ichie as a personal sort of philosophy. And I would say, uh, uh, basically, it's a ca- it's my categorical imperative. Mm-hmm. That's what we are trying to do here intentionally. And so thank you very much for this opportunity to get to speak with you. Uh, this is great. Well, in this one chance, you absolutely nailed it. So <laughs> thank you for that. This has been a wonderful conversation. I know I have learned a ton and I'm so excited uh, to go back and listen to this again. I mean, I just I love this conversation. And, you know, you mentioned my speaking. I, I have this sort of rule that I go by, which is if I'm not fully present, how can I ask an audience to be fully present? Right. And that's just, I feel like I have to go with that. So, uh, Kurt, this has been absolutely amazing. Thank you so much for your generosity, for your perspective, for your experience. And we are so glad to have you on the show today and hope to have you back in the future. So thank you again. We really appreciate you, Kurt. Thank you, Jason. I appreciate you. Thanks for joining us on the Leading with Data podcast brought to you by Oracle and Molecula. We look forward to seeing you on the next podcast.